Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. Mike, check. Mike, check. One, two, one, two, one, two, for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Word up. It's that biblical, biblical theology, theology study of the person of God. Attributes. God's word is like a breeze in the tropics. And Jesus got the keys to the cockpit. He's the king, the priest, and the prophet. So please watch as we proceed with the topic. Uh, yeah. And that's biblical theology. That phrase alone, they give some people allergies. Uh, they say it's not practical enough. Uh-huh. Just give me Jesus, that will be enough. That seems plausible and logical. Nobody wants to be all cold and theological. But being a theologian is not optional. Because when you talk about Christ, you're saying something doctrinal. Either it accurately portrays his majesty, or it's a travesty, or worse, blasphemy. You can do a global search. This mark is crucial to the health of a local church. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. What do I mean by biblical theology? The whole theme of the scripture and God's the key. It's following the Bible storyline and the ultimate goal is seeing God's glory shine. What he starts, he finishes with dedication. A work of art from Genesis to Revelation. From God's creation to man's fall to redemption to consummation. His designs and structure each time will fluster. What mind can instruct the divine conductor? His worthiness sits enthroned in the heavens sturdy and fixed. Romans 11.36 Biblical theology encompasses who God is, what he promises, and accomplishes. So clever we behold his endeavors unfold. The greatest story ever told. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We got to see the importance of biblical theology. Yeah. The Lord has not decided to keep us guessing. Thank you, Lord. He gave us the word providing us correction yeah. and the spirit for guidance and direction. Biblical theology is like protection from ourselves and our improper reflections so we can follow the Bible, not just our reflections. Otherwise, we will chop it into sections and not make the connections like the doctrine of election. And Satan is waiting to slice us in the mincemeat if our faith is a mile wide and an inch deep. Theology is like the root of a tree, which determines how rich the fruit's gonna be. And by God's grace, he'll breathe on us with his breath, lead us in his steps, show us his eagerness to bless. And we'll experience true peace within our death, because we'll know the meaning of Jesus and his death. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. Biblical theology is what we try and practice here at Theology Matters. Now, I actually have my little two-year-old daughter running around here, so if you guys hear some background noise or some little kid uh, making noises, you'll know what it is. So, 
Great to have you guys with us today. Uh, if you have not listened to us before, but you are kind of liking what you're going to be hearing, make sure you go to our Facebook page, at Theology Matters with the Palouse. There we have all of our uh, podcasts up. We've done numerous different topics and shows. We've actually done this show for three years now, and in fact, just celebrated our 100th episode probably three weeks ago. And uh, we do a lot of uh, different topics from demonology to Mormonism to Jehovah's Witnesses, um, several debates. That's one of kind of the the shows that always get the most downloads uh, when we do debates. We've uh, done a lot with Roman Catholics and uh, done a Mormon debate as well as a few atheist debates. So... This October, we are going to continue our uh, series that we do every October on the Reformation. And what we try and do is uh, one or two weeks, we'll talk about uh, like this this time, we're, we're probably going to do something like how we got the canon and uh, maybe something on the doctrine of justification. But then we're also going to uh, try and do at least two debates. One debate I know we have uh, lined up for sure. And last October, if you guys remember listening to Tony Arsenal from uh, Gordon-Conwell and Doug Beaumont, who recently uh, converted to Catholicism, they did a debate on the doctrine of justification. Uh, This coming October, we're going to do a discussion on purgatory, whether it's biblical or not, and uh, just have, have a good discussion with that. So the Apologetics Conference is coming up, I want to say October uh, 17th and 18th. Let me let me make sure here. Actually, it's the 16th and 17th. Ellie's saying hello. The 16th and 17th uh, at the Big Calvary on 51 in uh, Charlotte. Also, that Saturday night, starting around 5 o'clock and then all day Sunday, we will be having our Ratio Christi uh, Symposium. And for those not aware, Ratio Christi is a ministry uh, for the college students, where we're on the college campus and we're teaching apologetics. So be sure to join us for that. So without any further ado, I'm going to bring my first guest on, uh, Pastor Stan. Let's see. Pastor Stan, are you there? I'm here. I'm on. <laughs> Folks, Pastor Stan was our very first pastor several years back. Um and uh, just a very, very special person. means a lot to me and Melissa. And uh, from 6.30 to 8 tonight, I'll be interviewing our, our current pastor now. And I thought it would be a great show to uh, to bring Pastor Stan on and, and talk about that. So tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Pastor Stan. Um, where did you grow up? How did you come to the faith? Uh, where did you go to school? Kind of those those things. Uh, okay, let's see. Where did I grow up? I, I, I grew up in a uh, in a small town in Florida called Crestview. Not exactly small anymore, um, but small town at that time. And uh, my dad uh, was my pastor, and my mom was my Sunday school teacher. And uh, I left, uh, so I was pretty well taught <laughs> as as I grew up, uh, pretty doctrinally sound. Um, Left uh, left Crestview, my little small town, and went off to college and uh, and uh, got a degree in computer information systems. Uh, so I'm a computer geek as well, and 
then that was in Atlanta. Then I ended up moving to Charlotte, where you met me, and uh, that's that's where God actually got a hold of me. The whole time I was growing up, I I, I knew the truth, but I, I knew what it was to accept Christ, and, and and I never made the decision to follow Christ. I I knew all the truth. I had all the teaching. I had all the all of it, but um, I didn't really embrace that truth until until I graduated college and and I moved to Charlotte and and I had one of those divine setup kind of times where where God just put the right people in the in the right place at the right times a a friend of my mother's uh her daughter happened to live in Charlotte and and uh she invited me to church and fed me what which is a great combination hey food is a great witnessing tool by the way um so she invited me to church and fed <laughs> yes, me yes it is <laughs> just kept inviting me, and uh, the Holy Spirit really got a hold of me and just tugged at my heart, and and so I got saved at that church, and um, and uh, eventually, you know, taught Sunday school, high school Sunday school for a while, and and just felt like the Lord was tugging me and pushing me to do more, and so went through correspondence courses and and became a an ordained minister, and then eventually um, uh, came on staff there at the church where I was saved and ministered there for about seven years, and that was the church where you met me. So that's kind of the that's the short of it. A lot of, a lot of interesting details in between, I think, but um, that's the overview. That's right. Now you're you're married, and you have uh, how many how many kids again? We have we have two girls, two beautiful redhead girls, Abby and Anna. They're, they're really super fantastic girls. They're doing great. One is in college now, which is Hard for me to believe. She's a junior in college. Um, wow. She has a full scholarship. Yeah, she has a full scholarship to Western Kentucky University, and, and uh, she's double majoring in Spanish and education. And she's felt like she has a call to missions in her life ultimately, though. Um, so she's kind of doing some things to prepare. And so, and uh, my younger daughter's still in school at Somerset Christian, and she's thriving. And and uh, I'm proud. I'm really blessed. That's great. Growing up, did did you ever have, I guess, issues or questions maybe that you had uh, about the Christian faith, such as, I don't know, just kind of common, you know, problem of evil, or reliability of the Bible, evolution, any any of those type of questions that uh, that you had growing up? Um, you know. I- I can't think of any burning questions that were just stumping me as a Christian, you know, or, or I can't think of any questions of, is God real? It just sort of seemed like that was the assumption in our household. And even as a non-believer, interestingly enough, even as someone who hadn't accepted Christ, um, there was, there was plenty of truth, plenty of teaching, um, and in our household. And so, uh, that that went a long way toward eliminating doubt. Even though I, even though you know as a kid I just I didn't want to make that decision because and I think part of the reason I didn't want to make that decision is not necessarily because of the doubts so much is because I knew what it meant. Uh, my my dad has a is kind of a teacher sort of person like me, and so um, he made it real clear what it was to serve Christ and the. I, the Beyond just teaching it, um, you know, I really saw them live it out. So I knew, I knew, I knew 
what it meant to live for Christ. Uh, they weren't. Uh, he was never one thing at church and another thing at home. He was the same. And so, um, interestingly enough, I didn't have these major doubts. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of yeah yeah I think there's a lot of Christians that are that are blessed and uh, they have the the parents there and that's kind of a good apologetic the way they live it out and uh, you know very consistent uh, with that I think that's that's really amazing that's that's uh, that's blessed to be able to have that kind of a a background and story. Um, well, kind of I, know, pass- I know that. Go ahead. I know that's kind of a rarity these days, though, that, I mean, as I talk to people, I realize that that not everybody has that foundation to laid for them. I mean, I, I had to make a decision on that eventually, but, but, but the foundation was laid for me. But I realize so many people don't have a foundation of truth laid in their lives, and, and, and so that does put them in a place of having lots of questions. And you know, kind of roadblocks in the way of their decision for Christ. Well, and and that would be yeah, that's a good kind of segue into maybe this topic of um, how or what role do you think does the church play uh, in doing sound theology training uh, their people to to know apologetics? Now, granted, I understand uh, you know it's not seminary; it's not supposed to be. <laughs> seminary, um, but it, it does seem, in fact, I, I just read an article today, um, and the, the title was, you know, is your church raising up uh, atheists? And they talk about how a lot of times churches do not even address a lot of the theological and apologetic issues. Uh, in fact, Mike, Michael Kruger, president of RTS, uh, did a video last week where he was saying, you know, a lot of times churches are very good at uh, preparing the students morally to be able to withstand some of the pressures in college, uh, but not intellectually. What are, what are your thoughts on that? How can the church uh, come alongside and kind of pick up the slack in that area? Well, I've always heard this really simple truth uh, that the, the best way to spot a lie is to know the truth. Um, and I, and I think the first the first thing churches can do is first of all just simply teach the truth. Um, I I mentioned growing up in a small church and um, I was teaching a men's class n- last night and and uh, we talked about I told them a little bit about my early years and and uh, my mother was was a Sunday school teacher and I remember the old flannel boards and the little characters and all the Bible stories. And th- that thing we used to call Sunday school, um, mm-hmm. and, and I and I realized that, that that so much of what so much of the blessing in my life today was sown in a little basement in a church in Florida by my very own mother, who took the time to tell me the truth. That that equipped me so well, and I didn't even realize it at the time. When you're a kid, you're just thinking, when do I get to eat lunch, and how long is this class? But you know. But it 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 would she sowed that truth into my life and it really helped me spot lies and spot deception in the future. Now, I mean that's the that's the first ingredient right there. Um, that, does that make sense? 
Yeah, yeah, that 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 does. Yeah. Teach truth. That, uh, let them. Yeah, but you know, if you have that truth, then then you're better equipped to to spot a lie. And then I think um, I think the church could. Well, first of all, you know, I I don't know that we need Sunday school per se in the same way that we used to do it when I was young, but we've got to have some way to, to disciple and, um, and and get that truth in. I, one, of, one of the things that bothers me these days is, is that, that we have so little time to put that truth into people, that um, we need to make more opportunities, either weekends or, um, you know, classes are not the end all, but we've got to find some way to disciple people and put the truth in them. Um, right. And then another... Another part of that is is we've got to talk about real th- real issues and real real life stuff because people are dealing with difficult problems, um, hmm. and I, I think a, I think a lot of times we teach a truth but we don't necessarily connect it to a to 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 real issues that are going on in our society and and uh, one of the things I think is important is that we we speak to issues of society and, and talk to the people in our church and talk to the people that we disciple and we say to them, do you see this part of society or do you see what's going on here or do you see this thing that's happening and connect that to the Bible and 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 explain what the Bible says about that. I'm, I'm amazed at how we sometimes disconnect the Bible from real life. Um, in, in raising my girls um, – they probably had to suffer a little bit because I am kind of a teacher, and and I've I'll stop a movie right in the middle if we're watching a DVD at home, and I will give I'll give an apologetic, so to speak. Wow. And I'm not wow. I'm not an apo- I'm not an apologist, but I but I think I mean I'll stop the movie and say, Do you see what they're telling you here? And do you see what how that's a lie? And what they're trying to sell you, and what the, do you know what the Bible says about it? Uh, big fan of you know. Kind of, it reminds me of Deuteronomy. You got to talk about these things everywhere you go. You know, write them on your forehead, and and you, when you sit, and when you rise, and 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 um, I think we need not so much technical apologetics, but practical apologetics at the moment we see the lie, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's a great way to to do that. Um, maybe talk about the need for good sound um, theology. Do you guys do kind of theology classes and that in your church? Yeah, as a matter of fact, in about forty five minutes, I'm going to teach an introduction to theology, um, and I think this is the the as part of a school of ministry that we we do here. Um, Again, you have to know uh, what you believe. You have to have you have to have a basic understanding of of your Bible and how that applies to your daily life. I was talking to some guys last night about um, about you know what's going on in Kentucky and and you know that we're coming to the days where you may be you know you might be jailed for your faith. You might have to really stand up for your faith and. And I challenge them to be willing to do that. But the other thing is, um, you have to live your faith. And it, you know, maybe we're not called to die for it, but we we have to live our faith. Well, 
How do you know how to live that faith out? Well, that's where theology comes in. And uh, you, you have to know sound theology so you know, well, how do you deal with the, the, the person at work that's causing you trouble? What, there's a theology for that, really, right? There's a theology for dealing with difficult people. There's a theology right. for dealing with um, brothers that wrong you. There's a theology for um, explaining how we relate to people and, and putting their needs ahead of ours. There's um, The word theology, I think, scares people, but it's just truth from the Bible. It's just teaching from the Bible. And, and um, again, I worry that we don't get enough of that these days. Um, we need we need more opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think even in discipleship, I think a lot of times it's looked at as uh, just doing relationships, but not a lot of theology. But even in our discipleship, I would say that's important. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think discipleship is theology. It, discipleship is 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 helping that person, that disciple, that person you're mentoring, uh, mentoring. It's helping that person process uh, theology and how the Bible applies to their daily life. Um, it, I, I'm not sure how you can truly disciple without the Bible and without truth and without theology. Uh, if if you're discipling without the Bible, you just have a club, I think. That may sound a little hard, but, I mean, the Bible's yeah. going to be in the middle of it or you're, or you're missing something, you know? Right. What are kind of what are some of your thoughts today on the state of the church today? What are some things we're doing well? Uh, what are some things we need to to improve on? Um, what are some things we're doing well? Uh, I could probably come up with a bigger list of things we we improve on. I'm an analyst, which is you know can be a blessing and a curse at the same time. Um, so I look at things very analytically. Uh, I, right. Um, so I, let me let me tackle what I think we ought to do, what we might could improve on. I mean, and I think discipleship is one of those things. I, I think, like it or not, our society, the speed of our society has, it feels like accelerated. You know, we're we're so busy, and it's um, and it's just kind of invaded the church to where. Um, Discipleship is hard to do because people are so busy that um you know that includes teaching it includes relationships, all of those kinds of things. I think we could could do a better job of discipling and I'm not saying that that's easy. I'm just saying we probably ought to look it up at ways to do it better ways to to get more teaching into people and ways to get more ways to facilitate relationship um as well, and that you know that may mean doing things differently, di- different days and different times and different styles of of how we relate to people. But I think discipleship could be done better. Um, and and you know just general teaching. I think a lot of times people get saved these days and they stay in the shallow end of the pool and they don't go deeper. Um, I think we should challenge people to go a little bit deeper in their beliefs and solidify them. And I think I think society is going to force us to do that soon. I mean, I'm not necessarily speaking prophetically, but you can just look around and see the, the way society is getting. It's going to force the church to really pay attention to what they believe. 
um, because they're going to have to make hard decisions on those. Um, and I think that's something we should be ready for as a church. We should be ready to help people really solidify what am I believing, what am I standing on, um, that kind of thing. Uh, that makes sense? Got you there? Am I still on? Yeah, sorry about that. I had a little little technical difficulty there, but yeah, that's that's some good stuff. I like uh, I like how you explain that and and those thoughts. What place uh, do you think expository preaching and teaching has uh, in Sunday service and during the sermons? Um, well, I I I think expository preaching scares some folks, honestly, but I think it's a pretty important uh, important thing. Um, Years ago, you may recall I did uh, I did the the street ministry there in Charlotte, and um, and and I and I quickly realized that I could preach a salvation every every salvation message every Sunday, but a lot of guys have heard the basics of salvation. I mean, um, and they were they were saturated with it, but what they weren't saturated with was the larger truth of the Bible. There's there's a lot in your Bible. And I think so. What I did, I don't know if I would call it, you know, true apolo- uh, expository preaching, but I would start in a book and preach the whole book of the Bible. Mm. I just start. Right. I started in. I liked John, and I thought it's a fantastic place to go for truth. And I started in John and just started preaching through John. Now, I'm, I may not, you know, you can't do a full expository message on a, on the street, but the idea is to get more and more truth in them. And so I like the idea of expository preaching um, on on Sunday morning. I think um, I, I think you can't do it every Sunday necessarily. You've got to make room for dealing with with issues and particular topics that the church needs to be um, dealing with. You have to. I think the pastor needs some room to write smack in the middle of a series, an expository series, um, do something he feels the Lord giving him for the church, but but I think it's a great idea. You know, the more of the Bible, uh, you can probably tell, the more the Bible uh, we can get into our into us, the better, I think, better off I think we're going to be. Man, that's a, that's, a, that's a great quote for life right there. The more Bible we get into us, uh, the better we're going to be. That's, that's really good. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's some, some some great thoughts, Pastor Stan. Really appreciate your your life, your ministry. I mean, you really uh, you know you had a, a big in, impact on me and Melissa. We were thinking yesterday you were really our our first pastor. Um, at the time, the the senior pastor wasn't really there. I don't think a lot, and may not have may not have noticed as much as uh, kind of you being the kind of the discipleship pastor, and uh, you were really our Really, the first guy that really shepherded uh, us when we first got married, and and uh, really shaped shaped our our way for ministry. Oh well, man, I, I was happy to do it, and I, I I told you yesterday. I think I, I'm so proud of you too. I I sort of cyber stalk you, if you will, and watch what you're doing, and I, and I'm just thrilled to see how God's using both of you, and uh, you you just keep up the good work. We're we're cheering you on here in Kentucky. I appreciate that, Pastor Stan. Is there a, do you have a blog or a website or anything that people can can come check you out, or even if they have maybe some computer 
computer issues? Where can they go? Um, you know, I should. You would think being a computer guy, I had more uh, more <laughs> info out there. But everything I have is kind of stale and old. But you can find me on Facebook at uh, you know just look for Stan Vickers in Kentucky, or you could uh, you can find StanVickers.com or StanVickers.net. Um, they're they're a little bit old, but you can find your way to me from there. And uh, and uh, we have a little farm. I don't always update the website, but we have a little farm that we put some pictures on every once in a while on the website called Victory Farm, V-I-C-K-T-O-R-Y, victoryfarm.com. So poke around in those places, and you can find me and uh, be happy to talk with you. All righty, Pastor Stan, appreciate you coming on, and I uh, look forward to having you back on again in the future. I really enjoyed it, Devin. God bless. God bless you. Appreciate you coming on. All right. All right, folks. uh, What we're going to do is we'll go ahead and take a a break for uh, just a couple minutes, and then we're going to transition. We're going to look at a topic uh, that is pretty controversial, unfortunately, today, and that is the issue of church membership. Uh, So many times uh, people that I've talked to, younger Christians, especially on the college campus, do not think a person needs to be in, involved in a local church. And uh, we want to talk about that. And you even have a lot of uh, books that have come out that are just aggressively against the church and actually <clears throat> trying to turn people away from being part of a local church. We're talking Christians here. We're not, we're not talking about you know Richard Dawkins. We're talking about Christians. So I am going to be uh, bringing on Pastor Dave Keene, who's actually my pastor, and we're going to look at this topic a little bit of what is a healthy church and why should Christians be involved in the local church. So stay with us, and we'll, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Ankerberg Minute with apologist and best-selling author Dr. John Ankerberg. How can we know that God exists? Well, there are many arguments for the existence of God but one of the most popular is known as the moral argument. The moral argument shares that every law needs a lawgiver, a personal being who is the source of our innate sense of right and wrong. Since moral laws do exist, such as not lying, stealing, or not to murder, there must be an original source for these morals. The Bible explains that God alone is holy, righteous, and morally perfect, and exactly fits the description of this moral lawgiver. As Paul said, God's righteousness endures forever. God alone is holy and serves as our source of perfection and standard of guidance for life. For additional resources on this topic, log on to johnankerberg.org. Having talked about expositional preaching, I don't want people to think it doesn't matter what you're actually saying that the only thing that matters is that you're opening the Bible, reading it, and claiming you're explaining it. Now, I want to kind of nail down the product as well. I want to make sure that what you're saying is actually consistent with what is in the Bible. Because the Bible has very specific content. God speaks through his word to reveal himself to us. And that means we can get it wrong. So in our preaching and in our teaching in our churches, we want to make sure and get it right. The term biblical theology can be used in two ways. Either theology that's biblical some people sometimes call systematic theology, or uh, biblical theology, which is a a method of studying the scriptures as one story culminating in the person and work of Christ. 
God has revealed himself progressively through scripture. So there's a picture being built up through thousands of years of God's interaction with his people, culminating in the life, death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing how all God's purposes come together and focus in Christ. It's as we have a sense of the, of the whole of Scripture that we're able to rightly then sort of divide and apply the parts of Scripture and to live more consistently uh, in God's will and uh, to live more consistently uh, by His grace. I think it's extremely important for pastors to know how the entire story of the Bible fits together. So that any particular text that they're looking at, uh, they not only understand the, the immediate meaning of that text, they understand how it fits into the whole. That prevents us from, from doing all sorts of terrible things to Scripture, like ripping things out of context, misapplying, um, making false promises. So biblical theology is understanding these great themes through the Scripture that God has developed in history. Now, through the history of Israel and then in the New Testament and the ministry of Jesus and by the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the apostles that's recorded in the rest of the New Testament and teaching those things clearly in our, our preaching and believing them ourselves. All right, folks. And that was uh, from the Nine Marks Ministry and they're talking about what is the, the Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And so we're going we're gonna to get into that today. Uh, let me go ahead and let me get our guest queued up here. Pastor Dave Keene, or Reverend Dave Keene, is pastor of Park Baptist Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and he graduated with a BA in intellectual history from the University of Pennsylvania and received his Master's of Divinity at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and is currently pursuing a PhD in missiology at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Pastor Dave, are you there? I'm here. Now, folks, can you hear me? I have, I, I can hear you. I can hear you loud and clear. Can you hear me okay? Oh, I got you, man. I have been doing a uh, pastoral internship under Pastor Dave here for the last, though, six or seven months. And so when I got the chance to be able to turn it around and put him in the hot seat, <laughs> oh, did I jump on that. <laughs> no, it is a, it is a real glad honor. Glad to be here, man. Be, you be are one of my heroes. <laughs> You're one of my one of my heroes of the faith, Pastor Dave. So I really appreciate you coming on. Well, it's tell a, us it's about a your. Yeah, tell us tell us about uh, kind of growing up, how you came to know the Lord, uh, how you got involved in in pastoral ministry i grew up in the in a lutheran uh, church uh, a very liberal lutheran church my parents were faithful to bring me to church every single sunday uh when we were confirmed at um in, at eighth grade 14 years old we were, had the choice of to continue to go to church and uh, or not and uh, by god's grace i continued to go to church and uh, i don't know why i continued to go uh, i probably was a close relationship with my family uh, my mom especially uh, I did not hear uh, the Bible being taught much, um, uh, at least from the pulpit. We had some faithful uh, youth workers. But other than that, I didn't really hear the gospel in church. Uh, I was actually at a Young Life camp at 16 when I think I first heard and understood the gospel. Um, uh, my my mentor told me that I was a sinner and that I, because of my sin, I deserved uh, God's wrath and deserved to go to hell. And uh, I was a, a good kid in high school, straight-A student, 
played three sports, just a just a generally nice kid. And when someone told me that I deserved to go to hell, it really kind of well, wait a second, <laughs> this really kind of <laughs> caught my attention. Um, but I started, you know, obviously the scriptures are pretty plain. And uh, at that point, I just gave my life to the Lord and asked Him to be my Savior. And um, from then, it was the next two years. I was still going to that same church and grew a little little bit here and there, never really was discipled, didn't really understand uh, the Bible, just kind of memorized a verse here, a verse there, kind of things out of context. And uh, when I was in college, you know, I, I think I was kind of living a, a, a dual, a double life. You know, I, I was living a double life. I had kind of one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. And, you know, if you were going to ask me, I was probably a hypocrite more in the world than I was in the church. Uh, so when I'd go to church or I'd go to a campus meeting, I felt at peace. I felt this is exactly where I was called to be. Uh, but I was trying to be something I wasn't uh, for my friends. Uh, well, my sophomore year, things kind of tanked. Grades uh, were awful. So the, my identity and my af- academics was gone. Uh, football was taken away from me because of an injury. So my identity and athletics was gone. Um, my family had some issues. So my identity there was kind of disrupted. Uh, so it really kind of broke me. And um, I just heard the gospel afresh uh, over that sophomore, after my sophomore and junior year summer. And, man, the Lord just really changed my life. Um, and it really what happened was I came back to college, and I just started mem- I started reading the Bible, <laughs> just reading the Bible from Genesis and just kept on going. A lot I didn't understand. Um, I, I pursued relationships for people to, to, to disciple me. Uh, one of my good friends, Stan Shin, I asked him if he would have breakfast, dinner with me on a Monday night. He said yes, and I asked questions about the Bible. And we did that for two years. Uh, I don't think he realized how important he was uh, in my my own discipleship. Uh, so I went after graduation. I went down to D.C. to be a teacher, really kind of make an impact with the gospel in the classroom. I was part of a, a national community church, was a church that was reaching a lot of young people, um, really contemporary, kind of like the cutting edge, 21st century model church. And uh, it was it was it was there when I started to really figure out, okay, what is the church? What what is the church called to do and be and do? Um, I didn't necessarily hear the Bible being taught on Sunday morning. Uh, the pastor loved the Lord. Um, he loved uh, teaching God's principles, but didn't necessarily teaching God's scriptures. Um, so my wife and I eventually landed at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. Uh, pastor Mark Dever, uh, was, he's was a pastor there, uh, really kind of taught me um, what the church and the scriptures mean. <laughs> really kind of my eyes were opened in terms of how the, the church is cent- central uh, for the Christian faith. Um, and that kind of start, started me on my, my quest and my journey to really understand the church. Um, I was always part of the, the parachurch ministries, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Young Life, Navigators, Campus Crusade for Christ, all great ministries. Uh, but I was never part of a local church in terms of I'd go on Sunday, but I was never really invested because I never really, I guess, saw the value of it. And it wasn't until I was there when I really understood the value and, and what God says in his word about the about the local church. And then uh, from then, that's, uh, I guess, you, you you kind of felt the call to get into pastoral ministry. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it kind of a, a little bit of a story. Uh, I was in full-time ministry in D.C. working with Fellowship Christian Athletes, and um, just some things kind of came up in, in, in my marriage with my wife. We newly married, never really understood what it meant to – to live as a husband, um, you know, as, as Christ loved his, uh, the church, as a husband loves his wife. I just didn't really understand that. Wanted to, but didn't understand it. So uh, the recommendation of the elders of CHBC told me to may, maybe it would be good for you to step away from ministry for a while to really learn how to care for your wife. 
Um, and it's part of my story, and I'm grateful for their advice and counsel. Um, so we stepped out of ministry, and I just kind of went on a couple-year journey to really figure out how to be a good husband, how to love my wife well. Um, and there's more to the story, but God was very gracious during that time. And it was during that time my wife and I realized the kind of ministry that we were called to as a family was ministry in the local church. Um, so I got plugged into a Baptist church in South Carolina, um, pursuing my my, my MDiv at, at Southeastern, and just grew grew my love for the Lord, love for the local church, um, and then got called to be the senior pastor at Baptist in 2012. Wow! And we are we're definitely uh, definitely blessed to have you for sure, and it's uh, it's good to see that um, you know the passion for church membership and uh I, I think it's it's something that a lot of uh Christians just don't hear a lot about. Uh the need mm-hmm. for it might just be because, well, there's so many different churches we can go to. It's not uh there's no big rush. Maybe we'll go here one Sunday and we'll go to another and we know people like this, but you know it doesn't matter about being plugged into a local church. They they, they may go to a a different church every week, right? What are what yeah. are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, you know, I think that I was that person, you know. I mean, I was in college. I was actively involved in ministry. Uh, I was sharing my faith. I was reading my Bible. Um, I was involved in a lot of different campus groups. And I just didn't see the value of the local church. Um, and I think it, my experience was because of the way I was raised and not seeing the gospel preached in church, not seeing evangelism happening from its members, not seeing discipleship happening. So when I looked at the local church, I didn't see a picture of the New Testament. I didn't see a picture of people living out their faith. Um, So I can understand why people uh, don't consider the the local church important. Um, I think they're wrong. Uh, I think that God has called us to be part of a local church and that we should uh, invest our lives uh, in a people. I think there's numerous scriptures that kind of point to that. Uh, And I think that many people whether they know it or not, have been kind of um, in, influenced by the spirit of the age, the uh, anti-authority, the um, the age of, you know, tolerance. You know, I think the average Christian understands that the new tolerance is wrong, but I don't think they realize how much that new tolerance affects how they view um, life, how much it's impacted them. I think that the consumerism that has kind of developed in the church, you know, coming out of the late 80s and the, the seeker-sensitive movement, trying to draw people in using business practices and these, these types of things, um, has lingered and affected people in ways I don't think that we even realize. Um, so I think that people who don't believe in the value of the local church, uh, I don't think they're malicious. I don't think some are malicious against the church. I think that that's a completely different conversation. But I think for most people, um, they they just don't see it as important, um, probably because of their own upbringing. We're gonna we're gonna go through uh, the nine marks of a healthy church and talk a little more in depth about it, since we have plenty of time to do that. But uh, take a second, talk about nine marks ministry and uh, kind of what they're doing and um, how that I guess how that helped you in your own walk and your own ministry and kind of shaped. Uh, kind of the, your own philosophy of ministry. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I can't speak highly enough about the Nine Marks Ministry. They are absolute wonderful organization. Um, and I think, you know, it starts with Mark Dever, who kind of wrote, did a series back 
in early 2000 about the nine marks of a healthy church, which became a book, which became this ministry. You know, and just give you a sense, you know, I kind of got introduced to nine marks after I knew Mark. Um, I started going to the church. I went to Capitol Baptist Church on a Wednesday night, and Mark just came up to me and said, hey, I'm Mark. Can I take you out to lunch? <laughs> sure. Wow. I didn't know who he was. Um, and uh, from that point on, he discipled me for two years, and he would give me a book. I'd read it, and, we, you know, we'd meet every month, and I'd write a paper on the book that he wrote or the book that he assigned me to read, and we'd talk about it. Um, and just his love for the word, his love for his people, his love for the church really changed my view of the local church. You know, he always says that his his philosophy of ministry is very simple. It's preach the word uh, and then pray for the people. Preach, pray, love, and stay. So you preach God's word uh, and you just trust God's word again and again to, sh- to form and to shape the congregation in the likeness of Christ. Uh, you pray for them, understanding that the power of the Holy Spirit is the only thing that can truly change a person's heart and life. And then you just love the people. You love them, you love them, you love them. Right? You care for their souls. Uh, and, and love is not just the dish you love. Sometimes it's the hard word. Sometimes it's um, it's a rebuke. Uh, and, of course, there's times when you just weep with people. Uh, and then you just do that for a long time. <laughs> you know, it's not, you know, I think sometimes we make ministry um, a lot harder than it has to be. The ministry is hard because we're in a fallen world and dealing with sinners. Um, so I think my philosophy of ministry comes from Mark, seeing Mark in action, being part of his church as a member, member of his flock, um, and then just growing in my understanding of what the Nine Marks ministry does. I mean, they have put out some tremendous resources. So the Nine Marks website, ninemarks.org, I highly recommend anyone going there for, for questions. Uh, you send them a question, and they'll try to give you an answer. Um, that, can, that can be a benefit not only to, to, to that person who asked the question, but to, to others. Tremendous books that they put out there. The, the, the Building Healthy Church series are the books that I use for our church inter- internship that really just kind of give a basis on how uh, these great ideas um, that are seeped in the scriptures affect uh, life in the local church. Expository preaching and uh, sound doctrine and evangelism and, and the gospel, uh, elders, that sort of thing. So a tremendous ministry. They have a bunch of different conferences, both locally here in the southeast. Nine Marks Southeastern is a conference on uh, church discipline. Uh, they have one coming up in February about church revitalization. Just wonderful stuff. So I can't speak enough about the ministry. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a great ministry. And personally, I have benefited quite a lot from it. I, I, I knew about Nine Marks and Mark Dever before coming to Park Baptist, but I, I wasn't really as uh, familiar as I am now and uh, really has had a profound uh, impact on my own my own life. So let's maybe let's let's talk a little bit about some of the nine marks. Uh, the first one is preaching. Why is uh, preaching one of the one of the marks of a healthy church? And what let me preface it this way: what style of preaching? I think everybody would agree. Well, maybe not today. Uh, maybe, maybe they wouldn't agree that preaching is obviously one of the marks of a healthy church. But what style and why is preaching uh, a mark of a healthy church? Well, I think you got to start with the why. You know, God has always formed His people through the preaching of the Word. Uh, you know, God created the world by by His Word. Uh, in in um, Genesis one, you know, He He called Abram by His Word um, and gave him the promise. Uh, you know, time and time again, we see God calling and creating uh, His people by His Word. You know, I've been preaching through Nehemiah, and you just see this 
these people who are who are in exile and they came back and they they heard the word of God being read and that's how they established themselves as unique and set apart people uh, for God. It was the word of God going forth that was forming and shaping them. And you see that great imagery, and of course, in Ezekiel 37, where the Valley of Dry Bones, and there is there is nothing that you could do to to revive them. And God said, "Speak," <laughs> and He speaks uh, the word of God, and, and they become alive. Um, and you get a great picture of of the resurrection there. So I think that if you see that all the way throughout the, the Old Testament, God hasn't changed. In the New Testament, we see the same thing. We see the ministry of Jesus. You know, Jesus did tremendous miracles. Uh, in, in in the Gospels, and yet notice that all the miracles that he did were to to lead to his teaching, right? His 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 um his ministry of the word. Uh, he is the word incarnate. Uh, so you see that Jesus says that you know I had to go to to preach the gospel. That's what he came for. He came to preach the gospel, the good news. Uh, so all his miracles, I think, were to attest to his divinity, but also to validate his words that he spoke. And um, we see the same thing in, in the early church. Uh, the, for, the third church was formed by Peter's great sermon at Pentecost. Um, and then the disciples, uh, the, the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, and then we see that, you know, all the way, all the way in Paul's ministry. Um, and then we see their great uh, command and near the end of Paul's life when he writes to Timothy. He says, I charge you in, in the view of, of God the Father and Christ Jesus by his appearing in his kingdom to preach the word, you know, there's this great command that God has called his his people to preach, uh, because that's how God, that's how He forms His people. Um, so I think uh, generally that's why we do it. We do it because that's how God operates. God creates um, His people by His word. Uh, the, the the style in which we do, I think, should be expository, uh, which we're trying. What I mean by expository preaching, we're trying to uh, take the message of the text to be the message of the sermon. Uh, so we're trying to expose or bring out uh, of the Bible uh, and apply it to the hearts of the people. And we're not trying to uh, bring our ideas and our culture on top of the text. We're trying to bring the Bible out and then apply it to um, to, the, to the people's hearts. Uh, so I think that the main job of the pastor, um, as we see in Acts chapter 6, is the ministry of the Word. It's the servant of the Word and prayer. Uh, that they can serve uh, God's people by teaching them what the Bible says um, and apply it to their lives. So, you know, today you're going to have some pushback a lot of times with uh, with other churches that say, um, you know, preaching, it seems to be boring. That's not where people are at. We have to reach people where they're at. They don't want to hear uh, long, boring sermons. Uh, to them, they, they, I guess a lot of times they think it's it's boring. So instead, a lot of times what you see is maybe they will take a scripture to kind of springboard off their message, and um, it really a lot of times is more of a kind of a self-help, uh, self-esteem type of a message. What are your thoughts on that? With those who would say, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. It might have been might have been Andy Stanley who recently said um, something about expository preaching was like cheating or something <laughs> whatever that yeah means. yeah what, what course I, 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 well i would disagree uh, obviously and i think that there's a difference between uh, preaching should not be boring <laughs> this is the living and acting active word of god it should not be boring we should uh prepare and and preach passionately we should work carefully that we could preach in a way that would draw people in uh because god's not boring um 
Uh, but if we're going to choose between someone who's a dynamic speaker and doesn't teach the Bible uh, or someone who is a boring teacher and teaches the Bible, I'm going to choose the boring teacher who teaches the Bible every day uh, because there's power in the Word of God. Right? And I was talking to a friend today, and he said, you know, um, he said, I want everyone to memorize um, Romans 1.16 and uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18. And I think those kind of sum it up, right? The, the gospel is the power of God for all who believe, <laughs> you know, first for the Jew and to the Gentile. So listen, we have to preach the gospel. Um, it is the power of God. That, the, the word of the cross, right, is foolishness to those who are, who are perishing. So those who say that, um, the, that you do expository preaching, it's boring, I think they're trusting more in their own flesh and their own ability to, to engage people, and they're not trusting in terms of how God has called people uh, us to reach people. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So our job is to deliver the mail, <laughs> to deliver the word of God to the people uh, that they can hear it. So um, it shouldn't be boring. Uh, we should work hard for it not to be boring, um, but we should preach what the Bible says. You know, in our society, you know, um, they want to, um, I think people preachers, pastors, I think that they are under a, this a, this pressure to um, have a name for themselves, have this pressure to build their churches, to have people in the pews. And I think that um, underlying current brings them to figure out how can I get more people to listen to me. And I think that we, instead of giving what the people need, the pure, uh, infallible, uh, righteous, holy word of God, we dilute it so that we minimize its offense so that we can draw a bigger crowd. Um, now, I'm not mm. saying every pastor does that. I don't think that they do that intentionally. But I think that if you analyze the hearts and the motives, just because if I'm going to be honest, the, the, that motivation, that that, um, that underlying current is in my own heart. I see it in my own heart. Sure. Right? Right. I think that I Continue to tell my tell my own heart that as you as you often said the job of a pastor is not to fill the pews but to fill the pulpit. You know that's our job. It's our job to preach. And I think that you know because there's this sense of success in the ministry, it defines by how many people come. Well, that's not success. You know, true success is are you faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ? Um, you know, we speak as First Thessalonians um, two says. We speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So I, I, I don't know. I, I think that um, I would. It'd be hard for me to sit under someone who didn't teach the Bible. Right. Well, that's that, that's. A, let me let me ask you about this because you do have those who will say they'll go to a particular church and they'll say uh, the preaching is not very good. Uh, but the music is wonderful. The music is great. They got a great rock and you know praise band, and um, you know that's 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 still good worshiping God there. Uh, but preaching is pretty you know pretty subpar. So when looking for a church, um, of course, ideally in an ideal world, you have great music and you have great preaching. But when looking for a church, what is what is kind of what's the main thing we should be looking for. I know there's different marks, um, but for example, would you 
uh, tell somebody not to go to a particular church who may not be really great on music, but the preaching is good, um, or kind of reverse that. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Because I know a lot of people, it doesn't matter how the preaching is, it's just how is the worship. That's probably that's kind of the only thing that's important to them. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question, and I would say that the, 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 the number one thing that someone should look for in a church is is the is the preaching of the Word of God. And I, I would say not just, just the preaching of the Word of God, but the Word ministry of the church. Uh, because when I say Word ministry, I think the Word should go forth from the pulpit expository, expositorily uh, every single Sunday. Um, you know, at our church we have a Wednesday night, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday morning, and Sunday night that all are, all of those are expository preaching messages. Um, but there's also ministry of the word in, in small groups, whether it's Sunday school or community groups. There's the ministry of the word and discipleship one-on-one. What is the ministry of the word like? And I think that if you have a church that is strong in the ministry of the word, uh, you're going to be safer in the end uh, for all eternity. Uh, and you're not going to be uh, led astray um, primarily because you're being taught the word. Um, I, I think that music is important, and we shouldn't downplay it. You know, we're called to make a joyful noise. We're called to, to join our voices right. together. Uh, you know, right. I think that we maybe in, in, the, in the reform community maybe downplay music a little bit too much. Um, you know, mm. God is not, um, should not be worshipped um, stoically. I mean, God should engender passion, right? Um, we yeah. preachers preach with passion. We should sing with passion. Uh, so we need in our, in our churches to cultivate more, um, to do things with excellence and to do things passionately. Um, so, I, but I, I don't. I would, I would caution a person who says, "I love their music, but I don't love their preaching," and that's okay. I think what they're doing is they're kind of lifting up this music and this experience. Um, you know what? What are the songs they sing? You know what? What are you learning from that doctrine? You know, Devin, I do a lot of um, as a pastor of an older church. I've helped a lot of people die, and when I go into a hospital room, um, the songs I want my people singing are songs that are full of the gospel of grace. Um, mm. That says, oh, "Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought! My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more." Praise the Lord, praise the Lord of my soul. That's what I want my people singing and memorizing, you know, and, and, and having those things on their heart. I mean, music affects us differently. Some people are very gifted musically, and I think that it's hard for them to go to a church that's not uh, very strong musically. Um, and I think it's something that they can use their gifts to, to help with. But I think if you're going to say what's most important, uh, if you look at the scriptures, I think the scripture uh, places the emphasis on the word and not on the music. Um, so although music is important, I think it's it's it serves the word, um, but I think it would be underneath the word. That's good. I, I like I like the way you say that. And also, I think it's important to know as well, worship doesn't stop when the when music stops, does it? I mean, really, I think kind of in my own mind, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I I think the highest form of worship is the preaching of. God's word because it's inerrant, it's infallible, it's corrective, it is um, it is shaping and molding us and sanctifying us and uh, getting away, you know, at the kind of the worldliness. What, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, would you say preaching is is about the highest form of of worship we can do? 
Well, you know, I, I don't like to differentiate. This is the highest form of worship, and this is this is not. You know, I, I think that, you know, we look at what Paul says in Romans 12. You know, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? Holy and right. acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I mean, all of our lives are an act of worship. We can worship in many different ways. I think that there's something very humbling when we hear the word being uh, taught, because uh, God is speaking through a man, right? But through a man's God's words, and it's 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 us submitting and humbly receiving those words as mm. as God's words, and, and that, that's very different right. than other. Things. But if you notice, like in the history of the church and through Israel's history, they sang the scriptures. You know, they would the Psalms were 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 Israel's songbook. You know, and I think that it, I think what I see happening more and more today which is really encouraging in the church is that there's a lot of a lot of people uh putting the scripture back to song um you know that can help us helps us memorize helps us write the word in their heart um but it helps us really um sing those praises you know singing songs and and, and psalms and spiritual songs to the lord so uh, i i would say i mean of course my preference i love hearing the word um, but I, I don't think that we should say, okay, the word is the number one way we worship, um, and, and just to kind of down downplay music. Um, I think sure. that we can we're, we're called, we're commanded to sing to the Lord. Um, right. You know, so I, I think that, but it's what we sing. I think that people primarily who love music, um, some of them love to sing. Right, and I'm I'm completely unmusical. <laughs> there's there's my you know, let me just be honest. Uh, He's telling you the truth, folks. He's telling you the truth. He's not musical. <laughs> I think a lot of people are drawn to music, um, not for the lyrics and not for the content. I think they're drawn for the beat, I think they're drawn for the melody. Um, you know, uh, and I think that, you know, a lot of heresy has grown in people's hearts because of bad music. And, you know, mm. you, you have a lot of people who, who write music um, who are untrained theologically, and they they may have an excellent song, they may have a very theologically, wonderfully, you know, written song, but a lot of times you have very uh, shallow lyrics that don't point to the gospel, don't point to the central message of Christianity, of Jesus' death and resurrection and, and return. So... Uh, and then that's what people want to sing. You know, people come to the church, and because they have this consumeristic mindset, they say, well, why can't we sing these songs? And they, they, they tell you the songs they want to sing, and say, well, I don't want you to sing those songs because they're not true. And that's what they listen to, and that's what forms their theology. Because teaching has always been used as a, as a teaching function in the church. Um, so if you have bad songs, you're going to have bad theology. And you know what, Devin? Theology matters. It does. It absolutely does. I think I've heard of a show called that. <laughs> last uh, last question here, kind of on the preaching. Why why do you think it's important to go through the books of the Bible? Right, because I know at Park, we we really work through the books of the Bible on Sundays uh, and Wednesdays, and and kind of with that, uh, I've heard some say expository preaching is good for maybe Sunday night and Wednesday night. Uh, but not on a Sunday morning where you have a lot of new people coming. And, uh, of course, you know, I disagree with that, but t- tell us tell us why do we preach through the books of the Bible and why should expository preaching play a central role uh, even on Sunday morning when you have new people there? Uh, well, I think the, the seminal verse for me in terms of why we preach um, 
three books of the Bible is uh, Acts chapter 20. Uh, Paul is going to uh, Jerusalem facing the end of his life. Uh, and he gathers um, the Ephesian elders and at Miletus, and he, he tells them how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything, right, uh, that was profitable, uh, teaching you in public and from house to house. Then it says, which is the same thing later on, he says, I did not shrink from teaching the whole counsel of God's word. Uh, if you only teach um, parts that uh, are appealing to a pastor, you're not going to teach the whole, whole counsel of God's word. Uh, who likes to preach on um, adultery? Uh, who likes, who enjoys teaching about hell? Uh, who who likes to teach about how, um, you know, the, 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 the intricacies of the law? But when, you know, we're grown, we're kind of prone to kind of land on our hobby horses and just kind of continue to teach those. But teaching the books of the Bible just kind of forces you to address different things. I remember there's several books I've chosen, and I'm, I'm like, oh, these are great books. They're, they're, they're simple. They're not going to be controversial. <laughs> when you read, you forgot you forgot a paragraph in there, and you're like, oh, wow, yeah, I got it. Oh, that's great, you know. Um, but that's helpful. It's helpful for the people so that everyone, we're, we're not trying to form uh, a, a congregation in the image of the pastor, right? We want them to be formed in the image of Christ. So we want them to be in the whole council of God's word. Uh, and, I, and the idea of, uh, you know, not preaching the Bible on Sunday morning, just, you know, the Bible the, the, is for God's people, and church is for God's people. You know, we want non-Christians to come. We want visitors to be there. But they people need to submit to God's Word, you know. I mean, this is not, you know, God has commanded pastors to preach the Word in season and out of season. Uh, so I think that, you know, like I said, we don't want to be boring, and we don't want to be unengaging. Uh, the man to right. say that we shouldn't preach the Bible is really, we don't really, we're not trusting the Bible. <laughs> we're not trusting right. God who gave us. So uh, and I think it's a wrong view of the church, ultimately. Okay, and we'll, we'll get into that uh, a little more in depth as we get through some of the nine marks of, of kind of what is the Folks, if you would like to call and talk with Pastor Dave and ask him questions, give him a hard time, the number to call is 760 760- Five four two three nine zero seven seven six zero five four two three nine zero seven. He's he's really really good on this uh, on particularly on this topic. He's good at a lot of different things, but this is he really knows the stuff here. So if you have a question about this uh, church membership preaching etc., feel free to call. I'd love to love to get you on the air. You don't have to uh, agree uh, obviously for us to to put you on and just have a have a discussion. Uh, the second mark uh, they have listed is biblical theology. I remember when we started coming to coming to park. One of the things that I really liked uh, was, uh, and, and still do like, the meeting uh, once a month with the men of the church, and we're actually uh, was was going through Wayne Grudem's uh, systematic theology. And a lot of times, you know, you just you don't have that in the local church where we're actually getting together to study and learn theology. Kind of kind of talk about that a little bit. What is the benefit of, of biblical theology, and why is that uh, one of the essential marks of a healthy church? Well, I, I would say um, the Bible is our is what we should focus on. Uh, so the Bible is 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 sixty six books. Um, but all ultimately tells one story, and it has one author, and that's the Lord God himself. So from Genesis to Revelation is one story of how God is going to redeem sinners 
who spurned his name. You know, he created them, they fell, and then God had redeemed them through Christ, and then one day God is going to, to write all that uh, in his coming. Uh, and all of that helps us understand God's, understanding God's story helps us understand each individual book of the Bible. Um, so biblical theology really is, is essential for helping us understand all of life. You know, if you think about, you know, you are, are, are a strong advocate for this in terms, of, in terms of your own discipleship. You know, everybody's a theologian. You know, the question is not will we uh, be a theologian, but will we be a good theologian? You know, and I think that the job of, of the church is to make sure that we have good doctrine uh, and that we're good theologians. Um, for example, the, I met with a group of young men last night, and we went through Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3. So in Genesis chapter 2, we were just talking about um, the, the verse 224, right after God made Eve, and it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his, and his mother and be uh, united to his wife and, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And we spent about 20 minutes on that verse and why that verse matters for our culture today, right? Old Testament, you know, <laughs> thousands of years ago, and yet that verse still, um, you know, um, is making an impact in these young men's life because look at our culture. It doesn't value marriage, you know. And, of course, we can talk and we can bemoan same-sex marriage, but I looked at them and I said, you know, this verse should, should help you resist pornography, this verse should help you to encourage your friends not to cohabitate. This verse should should make your heart grieve when you hear people are getting divorced, because those are the problems in evangelical Christianity. You know, most there are there are Christians who struggle with same sex attraction, and we should be kind and, and gracious to them. But there's a lot who are struggling with pornography. There's a lot who are struggling with um, cohabitation. A lot that are struggling with divorce. And that verse is is a, is a theological verse that even Jesus references in Matthew. In Matthew 19. So I think that what theology does is it kind of weaves everything together and it kind of gives you a biblical worldview. So without biblical theology, you kind of are, are, are knocked off, um, you know, pretty easily. And then you get to the fall, chapter three, and, you know, how do you help someone grieve, um, you know, their pastor's sin? Well, you help them understand that they're all fallen and that without Christ, they're hopeless. Um, because we are we are prone to uh, reject God, so yeah. So I think that biblical theology is, is vital. So my job, I think that what I try to do as a pastor is to teach from the pulpit how things make sense uh, from the scriptures to our culture, uh, but also just to kind of give them a robust view of God, because uh, ultimately that's where, where where it stems from. Having a right view of God, you know, we, we, as we went through Proverbs over the summer, the fear of God is the beginning beginning of all knowledge. So understanding God. Having a good theology will change the rest of your life. Yeah, and I think a, a good biblical theology kind of lays the foundation for expository preaching. So when you're hitting issues, uh, for example, in John, where it's kind of getting into the hypostatic union and that, but a good biblical theology is going to help kind of understand some of these uh, verses that are brought up a lot of times by Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons uh, that focus on the humanity of Christ a good, sound, robust uh, understanding of biblical theology and systematic theology uh, is going to help with that as well. So, yeah, you know, very good. Have, you know, we're talking Genesis 1 with, a, with an 18-year-old, right? And this 18-year-old understands that God says, and God spoke, and it, and, and it was so. And God spoke, and it was so. And then he understands that that same God who spoke is John 1, Jesus, is Colossians 1, 15 through 18, Jesus. 
Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, Jesus. So he sees the connection uh, because we've already gone through those texts. So that just helps him validate that there is one God in three persons. So I mean, there, I can't give um, enough uh, strong encouragement to pastors and to members of local churches to study theology. The third mark is the gospel, and of course, this sounds pretty pretty simple and and that, but I think a lot of churches, I think a lot of Christians have this idea uh, with the gospel that as soon as you get saved. That's that's kind of it. You've kind of reached the destination there, so to speak. Why is the gospel uh, a mark of a healthy church, and why do Christians need to, to really preach the gospel to themselves every day? Well, if you look at the Bible, uh, most of, let's say, take the epistles in the New Testament. Most of the epistles in the New Testament were written to churches, and they're all just full of the gospel. <laughs> gospel doctrine, gospel motivation, uh, the fact that we are uh, wretched sinners and deserve God's wrath because of our rebellion, rebellion against him, and yet even on our worst days, Jesus was sent for us, and that he laid down his life for us. His blood was shed for us. His body was broken for us. And not only that, not only that he took my place on the cross as my substitute, but he was dead and buried and rose from the dead giving me hope for eternal life, to, the, to, to receive the inheritance that is undefiled, unfading, and un, unblemished that is kept in heaven for me. Those things encourage the hearts of Christians. Christians should love to hear the gospel. They should rejoice to hear the gospel. So, you know, I, you know, there's many who have said it in recent years, you know, the gospel is not the ABC, it is the A to Z of Christian faith. Um, because if you look at the scriptures, the, the the gospel, uh, how God is going to send his son to redeem the world, is the central message of Genesis to Revelation. <laughs> so by not teaching the gospel repeatedly and regularly, I think that we are divorcing uh, our lives from the Christian faith. We are followers of Jesus, so we should rejoice in the land who was slain for us. And it's yeah, it's it's important I think as believers to to constantly remember that that we're not going to uh, ever reach a point of perfection, and that we need to uh, hold on to the gospel for ourselves. That even when we sin and uh, that we are able to cling on to the gospel and understand the uh, redemptive purposes in that. And so that's that's good. So that is a yeah Mark Melty Church. Yeah, so, go ahead. Yeah, so there's uh, just a couple weeks ago on a Sunday service, um, you know, one of one of the members came up to me and he said, Pastor, thank you for preaching the gospel today. I really needed to hear it. You know, he needed yeah. hope. You know, what what other message of hope is there in the gospel? Um, you know, and of course, he, we need to be call out our sin. Obviously, we need to be call called to repentance. But man, we need to rejoice in what God has done for us in sending us a redeemer. <laughs> You know, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. You know, we need to remember and reflect on that day in and day out. Amen. Well, let's uh, let's do this. Let's go ahead and take our first break, and uh, we'll open up the phone line, 760-542-3907, 760-542-3907. Those who uh, would like to get on the air and talk about some of these marks of the healthy church, uh, please give us a call, and we'll put you right on. And we will be back uh, right after this. 
Many people are under the mistaken impression that people from different racial backgrounds have big differences in their DNA instructions. But this is not the case. The entire human race has a remarkably low level of genetic variety. Some biologists have remarked that if you sequenced the DNA of two humans on opposite sides of the globe, their DNA would show less variation than that of two chimpanzees on the same mountain in Africa. These discoveries have profound implications. Since the human race has low genetic variety, this means it must have originated fairly recently. Racial groups have not, therefore, evolved independently over long periods of time. These discoveries are consistent with the Bible's version of history, whereby the human population originated from two parents only thousands of years ago, and that the people groups have originated since then. To find out more from Creation Ministries International, visit our website, creation.com. Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. Apologist. We interview the world's leading apologists to provide credible answers to curious questions. It's no secret that philosophy has been given a bad rap by some in Christian circles. Why do you think that's the case? Well, bad philosophy needs a bad rap, uh, and a lot of Christians, that's all they know. Colossians 2.8 says, beware of philosophy. Actually, there's a definite article of the in Greek. It's talking about a particular bad philosophy. It was kind of incipient Gnosticism that existed there. Christians have nothing to fear from a good philosophy. In fact, we need good philosophy to answer the bad philosophy, as C.S. Lewis said. So I think Christians need to get into philosophy because God commanded it, because uh, the world uh, demands it, and because the results confirm it. Uh, I can tell you any number of people who have been trained in philosophy and apologetics, who have had great ministries in winning people to Christ who would not otherwise have been won to Christ. I have a whole file full of people who said, I was an agnostic, I was an atheist, I read your book, uh, I appreciated the reasoning that was in it, and I've come to know uh, Christ, and I want to thank you for uh, writing that book. So the uh, proof of the pudding is in the uh, eating. They, it has good results. Uh, good philosophy has good results. You can't know error without studying truth, but you can't answer error without studying philosophy because you wouldn't go to a doctor who didn't study sickness. If you went to a doctor who said, what's wrong with that? He said, i got a pain in my apostat near my zorch or wherever you get pains. And he said, uh, what would you like to know about health? He said, look, doctor, I'm, I'm dying. i got a pain. I don't want to know about health. I want to know, can you cure this sickness I've got? So you can know the truth, but if you don't know error, you don't know how to apply the truth to the error and when the people were in error. All right, folks, and we are back, and I'm here with this. I'm here with Pastor Dave, and we are talking about the nine marks of a healthy church. So, Pastor Dave, let's move on to the next. I've been here. Hold on one second, folks. Just had a little technical difficulties. What runs the show in biology is information. 
the same thing is true in life. If you want uh, to produce life in the first place, if you want to develop a new form of life from a pre-existing form of life, you have to provide information. And so the question is, where does that information come from? The Signature in the Cell by Dr. Stephen C. Meyer will show that the digital code embedded in DNA points powerfully to a designing intelligence and helps unravel a mystery that Darwin did not address. How did the very first life begin? In stores June 23rd. Signatureinthecell.com Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. apologist. If you had one minute to be able to unpack for the audience... We interview the world's leading apologists to provide credible answers to curious questions. The age-old question, has God said? That question has echoed into the 21st century, and still today many people question the reliability of God. And as Christians, we hear that the Bible is not reliable. How do you respond to somebody who says, Dr. Geyser, the Bible is not reliable? Well, my response is, um, God can't err. The Bible is the Word of God, therefore uh, the Bible cannot err. So if you're going to deny that conclusion, you have to deny one or more of those two premises. So tell me, uh, can God err? The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. You know, Romans 3.4. The Bible says um, that it's impossible for God to lie, Hebrews 6.18. The God who cannot lie, Titus 1.2. So if God can't err... And the Bible is the Word of God. And the Bible claims to be the Word of God. Jesus said it's the Word of God in, in John 10, 34 and 35, and Matthew uh, 15, uh, 1 to 5. He said, you do exalt your traditions above the Word of God. And the Word of God cannot be broken in John 10, 35. But if the Bible is the Word of God, then God can't err. Then the Bible can't err. Now to ask him one more question. If God is omniscient, if he knows everything, how many mistakes can an omniscient mind make? An omniscient mind can't make any mistakes, not in geography, not in history, not in science, not in anything. Well, if the Bible is the Word of God, then write it down. There aren't any mistakes there. that computers and humans have in common, which constantly needs upgrading in computers, but not in humans? The answer is software. You may not have realized you have software, but inside the nucleus of each of your cells, a program is written in the form of 3 billion DNA letters. Intelligent programmers write computer software, but what about living things? Evolutionists tell us that the information in the first living cell just appeared by itself with no intelligent input required. But is that possible? The answer is a resounding no. Even one of Australia's best-known scientists, Paul Davies, conceded that there is no known law of physics able to create information from nothing. And perhaps that's why, in a New Scientist article, he lamented... How did stupid atoms spontaneously write their own software? Nobody knows. To find out more from Creation Ministries International, visit our website, creation.com.
All right, folks, welcome back. Boy, we're having some serious uh, issues there with the uh, with the storm, and uh, man, just threw us all out of wax. It's a good thing we we took a break when we did. Uh, Pastor Dave, you there? I'm here. I am so sorry about that. I'm not sure what was going on there. Let's let's keep working down the line here. Um, Let's get to uh let's 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 start with evangelism and then we'll get into uh to membership in that. Why is evangelism a mark of a healthy church? What is evangelism and uh why should uh, why should churches be doing it? Yeah, that's that's a great great question, uh Devin. Uh, of course we, we um evangelism the way I've kind of you know, in my in my short vernacular how I explain uh evangelism is Taking the whole gospel to the whole person, uh, we want to make sure that people uh, understand what is, what is the essential message of the Christian faith and how one becomes a Christian. Uh, so, you know, the idea of we want to make sure that people uh, understand how does people move from death to life, from 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 darkness uh, to light. You know, we want to make sure they understand that it takes both faith. You need to believe in. Uh, the message of the gospel, believe in the Savior, you need to believe that you are a sinner uh, deserving of God's wrath uh, and that you have one hope, um, a perfect substitute to die in your place, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, But not only his death, but his resurrection that affirms he was the Son of God and gives us a a picture of what's going to happen to us uh, upon our own uh, death or his return. Uh, So evangelism is not trying to manipulate people into believing uh, there is a persuading. We want to persuade people. Paul says that we compel people. We want to persuade them to believe and trust the gospel because there is there is facts and there is there is like as you know there is a um, an intellectual basis for our belief in uh, Jesus. Um, now we may not understand it without the power of the Holy Spirit, but there is intellectual reasons for why we we believe that uh, Jesus is alone the Savior of the world. Um, so evangelism as a mark of a healthy church, that the church uh, should be full of people who are sharing the gospel, um, and not only uh, not only are they sharing the gospel with their words, but how they live their lives as um, as a people of God together is a fragrant uh, offering to the world that the gospel is real and true. God has given us pictures all throughout our world uh, of how uh, the kind of the kind of like markers, signs that kind of point back to the gospel. So you have a marriage is a picture of the gospel, how a husband loves his wife is a picture of how Christ loves the church, how a wife submits and respects her husband is how the church respects and submits to Christ. Uh, we see this in the relationship between a parent, a father, and a child. You know, how they interact is a picture of God's loving authority uh, that he, he gives us good words to obey. So uh, God has given us these pointers. So a church should model um you know, a life where we're constantly, regularly sharing uh, the word of Christ with those who are lost. For we believe that um, without hearing and believing and trusting in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, a people are going to perish. Um, and we don't want anyone to perish. For God so loved the world that no one would perish. Uh, but if you believe in Christ, if you believe in Christ, uh, you can have eternal life. How can how can pastors prepare their flock to do evangelism? You know, we we live in a day and age kind of where scientism is the dominant view that unless we uh, can know things through the scientific method, 
uh, other other claims should be dismissed. So, you know, our church is right there next to Winthrop, and we do a lot of, of ministry there, and so you have this um, a lot of this attitude on on the campus. How do we train? How do pastors train their their people uh, to when doing evangelism? How to kind of break through uh, a lot of the walls of skepticism? Because I, I think you know in the 30s and 40s, you know you could say in America, uh, well the Bible says, and that would have some weight. You know people would people would respect that. But you live in a day today where the Bible it, it's it's one of those things where it's it's cool to mock the Bible, ridicule the Bible, etc. How do we engage people today in evangelism? Or I guess apologetics would probably be more of a pre-evangelism. How do how do pastors equip their people to be able to do that? Well, you know, I think that you know, like I said, the short how I describe evangelism, right? Taking the whole gospel to the whole person. You know, we share the gospel differently depending on who, who we talk to. You know, and if you're talking to uh, someone who is uh, has been hurt and they feel um, angry, well, to know that God is a God of justice and God is going to um, vindicate His own name at the end of time is is, is a way that you can introduce the whole gospel. Um, I think that you know, as pastors, a lot of times we try to minimize the gospel to a bunch of facts. The gospel is so big. Uh, because it's the story of uh, the good news of God's uh, redemption, and that's the whole scriptures. It, it, it's it's vast, uh, so I think that we need to prepare our people uh, for wh- wherever they're at, and the kind of people that they're going to interact with on a regular basis to understand their their um, presuppositions, you know. And people need to to be aware of those things, you know. We know, as I mentioned earlier, to- the new tolerance is the spirit of the age, where you know that rel rel relativism it says that you know my way is my way and you can't tell me i'm wrong well that's not true you know that's not tolerance tolerance is is having a healthy disagreement in love um and kindness and gentleness um and exposing that to people is actually a benefit to them uh so i think pastors if if we give our people a big view of god and, and, and train them on how to talk about um the truth with Christians and with non-Christians, I, I, I think that they're going to be well-equipped to do evangelism. Um, but I think that you also need to understand that you need to listen uh, to people, and, you know, you can't do a canned presentation because, you know, I mean, you could, and sometimes that works, but if you just stopped and you listened to people and you really cared about what they were saying, you can find a way in to relate the gospel to their life. Um, but ultimately, we, we need to trust the Holy Spirit. You know, we need to pray and tell, help our people lean on the Holy Spirit so that when you go into these environments, um, that God is going to give you wisdom and insight, and he's going to take your words, and he's going to quicken people's hearts to believe. Yeah, that's 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 good. And, and you're right, there's different ways uh, you're, we're going to use evangelism. It's not, it's not a monolithic way, uh, the same way you're going to maybe reach a, a college student steeped in relativism is not the way you're going to reach uh, grandma <laughs> so to speak yeah, yeah, so, yeah, you're right. you need, yeah. need them both you need them both you know Absolutely. Uh, i love what you and melissa are doing and, and training people on apologetics and helping people understand uh people's presuppositions because there are there are a group of people who are that, that are not going to be reached um because they know the um uh, they probably know a lot about more about the bible than even christians do you know a lot of atheists and agnostics because they are curious thinkers um, but they just don't believe. So, you know, in many ways, you know, what your guys are doing is, is reaching a 
a um, a group that desperately needs to be reached for the gospel. Amen. Well, the the other the number six mark was really the one that I had asked you to come on and talk about, but we're yeah. I think it's good that we're going through through all of these here. Uh, let's spend a little time with with membership uh, as well, and then hit uh, discipline because I think sometimes that um, that that can surprise people how that's a healthy a healthy mark. Yeah. But talk about church membership. So you know, there's a lot of pushback coming from different people about uh, the problems with with joining a church and how it's not biblical, etc. Talk to us a little bit about church membership. Why is that a mark of a healthy church? Yeah, I think, you know, let me start by there's a lot of reasons that people give for not joining a local church. Um, and I, 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 I listen and I really try to understand um, why people don't. I, I haven't heard a good biblical reason for why people sh- are not members of a local church. Um, I, I hear a lot of pain. Uh, you know, you and Melissa have, have had your story of um, hardship in the local church, and you're faithfully involved in one, you know, uh, because you see it in the scriptures. Uh, but I think a lot of people have been hurt by um, by churches, either by people in the church, uh, by leadership, you know, uh, of the abuse of authority. You know, when there is um, – when leaders lead well, um, the end of Second Samuel 23 talks about the son – Dawning on them, they're blessed. They they feel God's favor, uh, but when there is poor leadership, I think people um, want to run away from the church because uh, it's hurt. Uh, I do think that there's this anti-authority streak in our culture that says that all I need is my Bible, me and Jesus are my Bible, uh, and I just I just don't think that is uh, a biblical way uh, to view Christianity. It's not biblical Christianity, you know. Um, there's always been a, 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 uh, a sign of people affirming your faith, and it wasn't just I say I'm a Christian, therefore I'm a Christian. Well, that just that historically hasn't really played out. Um, so I think there's a lot of things that happen in our culture that have impacted the way Christians are viewing um, the church. So I think anti-authority, this individualism that is on the rise, that what I want to do with my life is my business and you need to stay out of it. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of a lot of the reasons that are given, I think, are influenced by our culture more than people realize. But historically and biblically, so we saw from the Bible, you know, God established the church in Matthew chapter 16 uh, when Peter makes his great confession, you know, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. Uh, and then he says, on this on this rock, on this Peter, right? Um, I'll, I'll build my Petra rock. I'll build my my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against them. So uh, what Jesus is doing there is Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my church on confessors, right? It's the confession that Peter gives of the gospel that you are the Christ. Uh, so right there, you see this this beginning of the church. They're confirming the the, the what of the gospel. Jesus is the Christ, and the who, the confession of one who confesses that. Um, and then goes on to talk about binding and loosing um, in the end of chapter 16, and he says the same thing in chapter 18. Uh, one sins when your brother sins against you, go tell your tell him his fault. If he, he agrees, and you win, you win your brother. Uh, if he doesn't listen, take two or three witnesses to, to bring charge against him. If not, tell it to the church. And again, you see this you know, where two or three are gathered right, in my name. This binding and loosing happens. Um, so membership has always been kind of uh, assumed in the scriptures, 
Uh, there's no place in the Bible where you says, thou shalt join a church, right? Thou, thou shalt join a church. Thou shalt be a church member. Uh, but the idea of church membership is, is all over the Bible. Um, you know, they, they, they had in Acts chapter 2, when 3,000 were baptized, there was a number, a specific, identifiable number of 3,000 who stepped forward and were baptized uh, in, into Christ, uh, Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, you see all the, all the letters in the New Testament are written to churches, the churches of the Thessalonians, and the church in Galatia, and the church in Rome. The, you know, all these, these are, they're, they're churches that are referenced. Revelation chapter 7, specific local congregations are referenced. So um, I, I think the... Uh, I would challenge people who don't believe in church membership to come up with an argument from the scriptures of why they shouldn't be part of a local church. Um, you know, I think that the other argument that I would say is that the Bible gives commands in the scriptures, um, obey your leaders and submit to them uh, for they're going to be held accountable before the Lord. So if, if you're not a member of the local church, who are your leaders? Who are you submitting to? And 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 shepherds, pastors, who are your who's your flock? It's not just in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, which I just quoted. It's also in Acts chapter twenty. The Bible says to the elders at uh, in Ephesus, you know, you um, you are elders because uh, you need to shepherd the flock of God among you, whom the Holy Spirit made you overseers of. So there's something about you are overseeing a flock that God, the power of the Holy Spirit, puts you an overseer of. Ephesians chapter four, you know. Pastors and teachers are gifts to the church to build them up and equip them for ministry. So I I I know that people may be hurt, uh, maybe um, may not want to join a local church, um, but I don't think they can make a case for not being part of one. I just don't think it's in the Bible. What are what are maybe give us a few of the practical benefits uh, as believers being connected to? Uh, a particular local church? Well, one, I think it, it goes against the individualism of our age. Um, it goes against the anti-commitment of our age. Uh, you know, Paul says of Timothy, he says, I have no one else like him who cares not only for his own interest, but also the interest of Jesus Christ. And I think that we are trained in our own flesh. Uh, we are trained by our society to say, my life matters more than anybody else. <laughs> you know, what I want to do with my time and my life is my business. And who are you to tell me otherwise? You know, this is the, the spirit of, you know, of tolerance, right? My way is my way, and you can't tell me I'm wrong. Well, I, I think when we're part of a local church, it undercuts individualism. Because now my primary goal is not myself, but it's the body. You know, uh, it, it's the body of Christ. You know, even the images right. of that God uses to call to find the church. You know, you, you don't see a lot of individual language for Christians. You know, you talk about a lot of the individual language in terms of defining the church is all corporate. You are a stone in a temple. You are a sheep in a flock. You are a member of a body. You know, you are uh, a person, of, part of a family. You know, so I think the language of the Bible assumes that you're going to be part of a local church. So one, I think it undercuts the individualism of our day. I think it undercuts the anti-authority stream. You know, I think people who don't join a local church have an aversion to authority. Um, the people I've talked to, I mean, this is just, this is more anecdotal. Uh, I see it in more and more, more cases, but you know, God um, loved, loves authority. Authority is good. God established it in the garden of Eden by giving Adam good words to obey. His authority and then Adam's authority over Eve. 
Um, he's given elders as good authority right, to shepherd and lead God's people. Uh, and I think that when people um, don't join a local church, they don't want to submit to authority. Um, and when you don't submit to authority, it's really just a sign of your pride, your arrogance. Um, and it's, it's really, it comes from the beginning in the Garden of Eden when the evil one said, did God really say? This, this, this questioning of God's authority. And I think that's what happens when people don't join a church. They're, question, they're, they're, they're under this anti-authority stream. So positively, the practical benefits is you have a shepherd, a pastor, who is under the, the chief shepherd, right? The Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back one day caring for your soul, who's going to be held accountable, who's watching out for um, wolves, you know, to come in and tear up the flock. He's watching from those people who are going to teach twisted things. Because let's just be honest, Devin, we are easily self-deceived, right? We are mm. easily self-deceived. And I think that um, for people, being part of a local church, it helps your self-deception because you have teachers who are teaching the truth, and it helps make sure that you're not going to go off the deep end. Um, and if you read through the Bible, there's a lot of people who have gone off the deep end, right, not believe the Bible, you know, even within right. the church, you know, the Church of Galatia, for a prime example. How easily you were bewitched, you know. Ephesians twenty again, or uh, sorry, I said it again. I did it the other day at church. Acts twenty to the Ephesians elders this idea of, of protect the flock from because there's going to be people who come from the out and from within who twist the teaching of God's word. Uh, so you have when, you, when you're part of a church, you have people looking out for you. A friend gave me a great example the other day. He's got chicks, and uh, he put them in his back in his backyard, and he let them out to kind of get some exercise, as I guess what you do with chicks and. Uh, he noticed as soon as the chicks kind of started running around the the yard, he saw a hawk, you know, going up. You know, we've been talking a lot about elders, and, you know, he's like, you know, I, it's interesting that when you're a shepherd, elder, you just kind of look at things differently. You know, these this, these chicks had no idea there was a hawk overhead. But my eyes were always to the sky to kind of look at the danger from above. And I think that's the job of a, of a shepherd. So when you're a member of a local church, you have elders who are looking above, looking around the, the community and looking for dangers. You're having protection. Um, so that's one, one practical benefit is you have people caring for you. Two, uh, you know, this the kind of like just to reiterate, it allows you to do the one another's, you know, to, to, to pray for one another, to love one another, uh, to bear with one another. Uh, all these commands that God gives us show hospitality to one another in the New Testament. I don't think you can really do that well if you are not part of a, the local church. Because we are so prone to comfort, and we're going to fall back and do things that we think are best for us. And I think when you're part of a body, you have a, a, a responsibility. You have a corporate responsibility um, to do that. You know, and, and honestly, you're also called by you know to, to hear the word of God. Um, you know, I, I love that verse. I've quoted it several times already. You know, Second uh, Timothy uh, four one. And I charge you in view of God and. Uh, Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Well, if that's what he tells a pastor, he tells a pastor to preach the word, don't you think it's as as important as an, a, a Christian to hear the word? If it's right. that important, the view of God and his coming. Man, I just, I, I don't think that people realize the full benefits of being part of a good, healthy local church. So there, there, yeah, are, there are many other benefits, you know, um, I could talk about the, the intergenerational feel. You know, we had a man at the church on yesterday, 93-year-old man, 
uh, was talking about how much his heart was encouraged in the Lord when an 18-year-old came to visit him <laughs> and just spent two hours with him talking uh, talking about their stories, talking about their faith and praying together. You know, like, man, how do you care for widows? You know, commanded in, in 1 Timothy 5. You know, I just I just love the local church, and I think that the church can be such a blessing to people. So many blessings that I don't think that it's hard to, it's hard to even quantify how many blessings it is yeah. to a person. Amen. It really is too, almost like uh, like a guardrail, you know, that they put on the side of the road so you don't plunge off the cliff. I think the church does that for believers. You know, it's so easy when you're just doing the Lone Ranger thing to fall right out of fellowship, to even at times fall into sin, uh, which really will now just move into our next mark of a healthy church on uh, church discipline. So, how does how does being part of a local church? Um, we talked. You know a little bit about how that kind of helps preserve us. Church discipline. Some people have a real problem with it. Some people come out of Jehovah's Witness, uh, you know, churches or Mormonism, where you know they've had bad experiences of church discipline. What is church discipline biblically, and how uh, do we administer it correctly? Well, first we have to understand there's just two forms of church discipline. Um, the, the 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 most People think church discipline in terms of corrective, which I'll explain in a second. But the primary form of church discipline is formative church discipline. It's the regular teaching and preaching of God's word that forms the people to think and live like Christ, uh, to be transformed into the image of the Son, Romans 8.29. That is the job of the church, right, is to become like Jesus Christ. So we form and we shape by the teaching of the word, and that happens from a Sunday morning preaching to a conversation you have with a brother after church. You know, it happens when me and you get together and we talk about theology or sharpening each other. That's forming us, right? It's forming how we, um, how we think about God and therefore how, how we live our life. Uh, so that's, that's, the, that's the number one way we do it. So I think when we hear church discipline, we should help our, our own hearts and help other people. You know, the first form of church discipline is, is formative, and that helps us, it trains us, it teaches us, instructs us. That's great. Um, the second thing is corrective. Uh, now, corrective, you see there's several places in, in, in the Bible, um, in the New Testament specifically. Uh, Matthew uh, 18, 15 through 18, it gives a form of church discipline, which I mentioned before. Um, uh, then you see it specifically in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, about the man who's caught in sexual immorality, and uh, Paul is rebuking the church because they are. They haven't dealt with the sin. They've allowed it, um, and it, it looks as if they 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 were kind of being um, gracious. They were trying to be gracious, kind of overlooking it, um, but it was directly in opposition to God. And um, Paul said, "For the sake of this man's soul, put him out of fellowship, that he may be restored." And wow. I think one of the reasons why people don't do church discipline because they don't really understand. Uh, sin, and they don't really understand hell. Hell is real. And if you live your life giving yourself over to sexual morality, the Bible says you are going to go to hell. If you live yourself, live your life giving yourself to alcohol, and that's your God, or money, the Bible says that that's your God, and that's going to be your God in this life, that's going to be your God in the next. Um, 
So I don't think people understand how serious um, the the call of the gospel is. Jesus says, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. <laughs> right? You know, if the right, the right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And he's being, you know, it's exaggerated, but man, he wants to make a point. Sin can take you to hell. And I think as a pastor, you need to help people see that. Um, and if they don't, you're not, you, you, you want, the, 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 so that, there's church discipline, corrective, right? You don't want people to go to hell, right? So you, you tell them and confront them with the truth of the gospel. Now, how do you do it well is you have to do it with a spirit of humility, a spirit of love. You're not trying to call someone out on their sin. You're pleading with them. You're pleading with them to live for Jesus. And you, you, when you go to them and they, they turn from their sin and they repent, there is rejoicing in heaven and there's rejoicing on earth. And there's rejoicing in the, in the fellowship of believers when people choose to live for Jesus. Right now, there's, there's consequences for people's sins. We know that. But there's joy in repentance. But when people don't, we can't, as, as, as a pastor who's going to stand before God one day and be held accountable for the souls that God has entrusted me by the power of the Holy Spirit, can't not say something that is endangering their soul, everlasting punishment. So the spirit in which we do it, um, the, and, and, and honestly, in, in the life of a church, you're going to have very few cases of corrective church discipline if the formative is well. Right? If the regular preaching of the word happens, the more and more that happens, the less and less you have the corrective form. Um, but honestly, the corrective form is, is happening. I mean, listen, it happened in my own life. You know, I mean, when when the elders of, of, the, of the church said, "Hey, you're not loving your wife well. We want you to lay down your ministry." You know, and that, that's that's hard. <laughs> you know, I cried myself sure. to sleep for almost two months, and I, I'm glad I, I'm glad they did. Praise God, they had enough courage to look at me and say, hey, we see some things in your life that are dangerous. You're not caring for your right. wife well. You need to learn to love her. Well, that, that is not, their, their boldness and willing to exercise church discipline to me serves my congregation today. Yes, yeah, so, serves my wife and my kids ultimately today. So uh, I'm not sure if that's helpful, but. Yeah, that is. I mean, so church discipline shouldn't be looked at as something that is bad, but as something that is is good that helps us. That uh, it helps purify the church. Um, and yeah, just, just let me about... cut you off. No, yeah, go ahead. Cut you off. Read. I mean, if you read the Proverbs, right? We as Christians should invite church discipline, right? We should invite right. correction. We should invite rebuke. Uh, because that is the, the 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 picture of the righteous, godly man in the Proverbs. And yet we don't want people to correct us. We don't want people to point out our faults. But ultimately, if they're doing it in a spirit of love, even if they're not doing it in a spirit of love, but they're doing it and they think that they're, they're right, even if they did it in an awful way, man, we should be grateful. We should be grateful. Right. You know? So I, I just... the. Everyone has a bad story of church discipline. Everyone has heard yeah. bad stories of church discipline. I am sure in my ministry, I pray I'll never have a bad one, but I may have a bad story of church, story of church discipline. Right? Uh, not, I may not handle things well. But just because we may not handle things well doesn't mean we're not called to do it. Yeah. 
yeah, you have bad marriages, but that doesn't mean you just do away with marriage because of, of the abuse yeah. of, of, of marriage. Um, yeah. As I'm thinking about this, it really does tie into church membership as well, right? Because you have mm-hmm. a lot of churches that are just so um, concerned about getting members to the church, they're really not looking at the quality of whether or not the person is even a believer. Do they know the gospel? Do they know what it means to be a Christian? And then, you know, they're so quick to baptize them and get them into church membership, then you end up with a church full of pagans. So a lot of it is connected right to, to church membership as well. Uh, I think the, the more you guard the front door, so to speak, in those who are coming in, the less you're going to have to worry um, about church discipline. Is that is that correct, or am I am I off on that? Well, I mean, I think I mean you're still gonna have to worry about it because we're you're you're in, you're in a place full of sinners. Oh, sure, um, but you're right, 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 right. Yeah, but but you, you're right. I mean, the more you do it on the front end, you help people understand what the gospel is, and you help them understand how to live the Christian life and honor the yeah. Lord. The less you're gonna have to deal with the other stuff. Um, but even right. even the fact that the Bible is very clear about there's people who are in the church and there's people yeah. who are out of the church. I don't. I, I think that people just miss that. You know, I mean. The clear sign. I mean, I asked someone a couple of years ago. Um, how you know? I just they said their, their daughter was struggling whether or not she was a Christian, and I said, "How do you help her know that she's a Christian? And what marks can you point out in her life? You know, evidences of grace that she's. Where do you go to show her that she's in the faith?" And he looked at me like I had a couple of heads. And you know, I think that um, you know there is a clear sign in the Bible that if you are connected to God's people and you're submitting to leadership, that you're pretty safe, right? That's one, one, one of the marks of a Christian is submission to leadership in a local church. And, um, you know, John, John 2, right, they were never of us because they left us, right? They, they went out from among us. So living the individual Christian life, you may be a Christian, you may be fine, but it may be that you're out of balance with the New Testament. Uh, so, so, yeah, so I think that um, – we need to help people understand the, the, the scriptures before we, we have a process, right before they just walk down the aisle and say, oh, you're a Christian, come on down. There's a lot of reasons why people walk an aisle. There's a lot of reasons why people want to join a church. Um, but it's not good for their soul if they're not a Christian, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I would echo your statement, brother. Good good stuff. Uh, almost uh, done with this interview here. Let's, let's uh, take two minutes. Talk about church leadership, the role of elders, deacons. Uh, why is that a mark of a healthy church? Uh, well, yeah, I think, you know, just kind of like, like what I said, that the, the congregation prospers when leaders lead uh, under um, under God's grace well. Um, that's the picture. Picture in Proverbs, picture in the New Testament, picture all throughout. When, when there is a godly leader, someone who lives in fear of the Lord, the congregation is blessed. Now, I would say that the New Testament teaches that there should be a plurality of pastors uh, teaching those who are who meet the qualifications of First Timothy chapter three and Titus chapter one. Uh, the only difference between an elder and a deacon uh, is the ability to teach. Deacons are primarily called to serve, to free up elders, to do the ministry of the word and prayer, uh, to teach uh, the, the, the gospel. Uh, so I think if you have um, godly authority, uh, you're going to have people who who are going to flourish under their care. Um, just like when you have a good husband, when you have a godly husband, the wife tends to flourish. Um, so I think that's the goal of, of leadership in general is to have, have people flourish in Christ. Um, so, yeah, I'd say a plurality of elders with, 
with leaders, the deacons lead, uh, elders lead, and the deacons come along and serve, and then finally the, the congregation is the final authority. All right, good stuff, Pastor Dave. You've done a done a good job walking us through those nine marks. Uh, you've written a, a couple books. I think you have either one that just came out or is coming out. Is that right? Yes, uh, I've written two uh, kind of sermons uh, that I've preached from the Gospel of Luke, uh, the Lord Call Sinners, uh, and then um, Guard Your Guard Your Soul, um, which is more of a you know, a, a kind of a plea for pastors that, you know, from a pastor to his congregation to, to guard the different dangers in your life and anything from, from busyness to not hearing the gospel. Uh, I have a, I have like four right now that are, are in the process of being put out. Um, one is on the book of Proverbs, the wisdom of Proverbs, kind of hitting the th- themes of that book. Uh, we have one on social issues, uh, abortion, uh, same-sex marriage, homosexuality, race, um, and that's uh, biblical thinking um, on, on critical issues. Uh, that's going to be coming out soon. Uh, and then we have um, one on the church, uh, the kind of like a kind of like a reader's version doctrine of the church, kind of written that I want to kind of give uh, a member of the church on some of the issues that we talked about today. Just kind of a real, you know, overview of these topics. Uh, and then one is going to be on um, a little small little book on forgiveness from the Book of Philemon, called A Friend's Forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Wow, we're excited to see where 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 can we get those at? Uh, the ones that are you can just go to Amazon, uh, Amazon.com, and just search uh, Dave Keen, and they should they should pop up. Um, I have uh, a blog that you can find on the church website, ParkBaptist.org, um, or ParkBaptist.blogspot. We're we're trying to to get a DaveKeen.com uh, up and running, but we haven't done that yet. So, um, but yeah, just go to the church website, ParkBaptist.org, and. You could find sermons there, uh, both written as well as uh, videos. And give us a, give us the times and that for the services for people who may want to come check out Park. Uh, yeah, we'd love to have you. Uh, we have three services: Wednesday night, six thirty prayer prayer service and, and Bible study. Uh, Sunday morning, uh, nine forty five Sunday school, and then eleven o'clock worship uh, service. And then uh, Sunday evening, we have a six p.m. worship hour. And that's located in Rock Hill, South Carolina, folks. And a uh, great church. I've been there for a little over a year, year and a half now. And uh, it's been one of the best uh, blessings that could have ever happened to me and my family. So, Pastor Dave, we're, we're thankful for your life and your ministry and, and your leadership at Park. And really, really appreciate you coming on. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, brother. It really has been. Do you mind if I have a word of prayer for you and Melissa and just our time here? Yeah, we got 50 seconds. <laughs> okay, let me pray. Uh, Father, I thank you so much uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died and shed his blood to purchase the church. God, I pray that this conversation would be edifying and encouraging those listening, that they would love your bride. They would love the local church. They'd be faithful to their church. Um, we pray that they would help um, remove the wrinkles and blemishes of their local congregations to present her in splendor uh, before your throne. Uh, God, I pray for Devin and Melissa. I pray for the ministry. I pray that you continue to use them powerfully uh, for your great grace. We love you, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Pastor Dave, appreciate you coming on. And, uh, folks, we will be back next week. Uh, Make sure you join us, 6 to 8 Eastern. And podcasts are up, so feel free to listen to the podcast. God bless.